Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Man, we are so glad you're here today. I, I want to try something with you as I get started this morning. I, I have always been fascinated by the origins of certain phrases and words, and uh, I want to share a couple with you. See how good you are at figuring out uh, where a phrase came from. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a phrase, then I want you to turn to somebody next to you and tell them if the story that I tell with it is true or false, okay? So let's start with this one, to butter someone up. You've all heard the phrase, butter someone up. Uh, we use it when we're talking about flattering somebody or we're praising them to kind of get their support. All right, its origin, is this true or false? Buttering someone up was initially a customary religious act in India. People would throw butter balls at statues of their gods to seek favor or forgiveness. Is that true or false? Tell somebody next to you. All right, the answer? That is true, that is true, <laughs> that is true. All right, let's try another one, let's try another one. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now you know that that phrase means don't get rid of valuable things alongside unnecessary ones. All right, the origin, is this true or false? In the early 1500s, people only bathed like once a year. And when they did, their entire family would use the same water without changing it. Uh, the adult males would go first, followed by adult women, and, and then their children, order of oldest to youngest by age, and babies would go last. And by the time a baby was in the water, it was clouded with filth, and mothers had to take extra care that their babies were not thrown out with the bathwater. Is that true or is that false? Tell somebody next to you. All right, you ready? Believe it or not. That is true, that is true. Now, I don't know that any mom ever actually did that, but that's where the phrase supposedly started. All right, third one, third one, saved by the bell. This one, let's go multiple choice on this one. Did it A, get its origin when a group of late 80s, early 90s teens attended Bayside High School in Los Angeles <laughs> with a catchy theme song and a different life-changing message each week? Did it get its origin, B, from boxing matches where the ringing of a bell indicated the end of a round and a boxer who was on their last legs had a chance to recuperate before the next round? Or C, get its origin from a time in the 1800s where people were afraid of premature burial and they invented a system of bells hung near tombstones in graveyards, bells connected by a string down into a coffin and if you woke up and found that your loved ones buried you thinking you were dead, you could find the string, ring the bell, and people could come running and save you. All right, which of those three is the origin of the phrase, saved by the bell? Tell somebody next to you. Are you ready for the answer? The answer is B. The answer is B. How, how many of you said C? How many of you said, a bunch of you said C. Uh, well, in fairness to you, uh, C was actually a real thing. It's just not what started the, f the phrase, all right? Now, when I say that C was a real thing, let's talk about that because it might spook you a little bit. Let me, let me say, I researched, I could not find any evidence that this sequence of events in a graveyard actually ever happened, but in the 1800s, before they had medical science that we know today to know whether or not somebody's really dead or, or before they embalmed bodies, people had a real fear of somebody burying them too soon. 
Uh, just an example, George Washington, founder of our country, he made one dying request. Have me decently buried, but do not let my body be put into a vault in less than three days after I am dead. They were afraid of this. And so, in 1822, a doctor named Adolf Gutsmith of Germany, he designed a coffin that had a tube in it so that air could get down into the casket. And he actually, this guy tested it. He put on a demonstration where he buried himself alive for several hours and he had people send food through the tube so he could eat while he was waiting out his time. Soup, beer, and sausages while he waited. Uh, a few years later, a few years after this, 1829, Dr. Johann Gottfried Tagberger, another German, he improved this by coming up with the idea of strings and the safety belt. If you wake up, you pull a string and a bell lets everybody know that you are alive. And I'll say, if you go to a graveyard today, ones that are old enough, uh, ones that go way back, you can still find evidence of these bells. You can see where they were hung. Bells meant to save the day. Bells meant to ring out. You thought I was dead, but I'm really alive. Now, can you imagine living near a cemetery where there is no movement, there's no sound, there's no life, and one day you hear a bell start ringing? A bell indicating there is life in this place where no one expected life. Of course, what we know as believers is that death is not the end, right? Would you say that with me? Death is not the end. What we celebrate today is that death is not the end. And we know that on the other side of death is eternal life. And we know that before our eventual deaths on this earth, even right now, Jesus has come to give us life to the full right here. But I want to share something with you this morning that we don't talk about often enough. And it is something that the Bible tells us. The only way to get to those lives, either of them, eternal life or life to the full right here, is to go through death of some sort. I'm going to read you a passage out of this book in the Bible called Romans, and I will just admit to you right up front, it's weird. Boy, is this passage kind of weird. It's probably why we don't read it all that often, but it's going to help us explain what I'm talking about. All right, take, take a look. Uh, Paul is writing, and he's talking about this ancient practice of baptism that we actually still do today. We have a few baptisms right after this service in the courtyard. We still do this. Baptism was where they would take somebody who had decided they wanted to give their life to Jesus and had asked for forgiveness of their sins. That's an important part of this. That person would choose to get dunked in the water and then come back out. And a lot of times when, when you probably think of baptism, you think of this symbolic act of being washed clean. Uh, probably because that's why we get into a, a tub today, uh, to clean ourselves, even if our family of eight got in before us and left the water gross, apparently. A, a lot of times we see baptism as symbolizing our being washed clean, and I'm not saying it's not that. But to the ancients, it symbolized something even bigger, and this is what I want to show you in, in this thing in Romans. Paul writes this, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul says, you know that act in baptism where we lean somebody backwards, submerged, kind of buried in the water? It symbolizes something, you being dead and buried like Jesus was. And then Paul goes on to say a few verses later, we have been united with him in a death like his. Now, 
Why in the world would anyone want to embrace language about being dead or made dead like Jesus? And the answer is in what he says next. Take a look, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He says, you get to be dead and buried just like Jesus so that you can be raised to a new life. Let me, let me read you all of verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You and I have to go through some sort of death to be able to get to new life. Well, if you're like me, you're asking, what is this death? I'm not sure I like the idea of going through any kind of death. Is it literal death that I have to go through to get to new life? Well, for eternal life, I guess so. Uh, although you don't have to worry too much about that one. Your body will take care of that for you someday. But let me ask you an important question. When we talk about life to the full, life here on this earth, are there some things about you that might need to be dead and buried so that you can live that life to the full now? Earlier this week, uh, I was feeling some real envy. I won't go into all the details, but a friend of mine was telling me about something happening for them that was really, really exciting. And I couldn't help but think, oh my gosh, I wish I had that going on. And it was funny. I actually started plotting in my head about how I could also have that. And then I realized, no, I can't. I can't afford that. And then I found myself, then I found myself secretly kind of hoping that when they get to do this thing, it somehow maybe kind of goes wrong and it's not all they wanted it to be. How messed up is that? Now, I was able to, to catch myself and say, what are you thinking? Why would you want that for your friend? But it was interesting to see the mental road that envy took me down. And I promise you, where it was leading was not life to the full. Here's the thing. I wonder what it would be to bury it. I was speaking with somebody else a few weeks ago about some resentment they had been experiencing. Um, they're recently divorced. Uh, they'd been in a marriage where their spouse had been less than honest. And, and, and while they're happy to be out of the marriage, their ex is thriving with someone else. And they are alone and they are feeling resentment and it is stealing their joy, right? Some of you have been there. And I wonder what it would be for this friend to be able to bury that resentment. Spent some time with another friend in their 50s. Uh, they've never been married. They, they don't have kids. And this friend has been waiting for this for a long time, uh, a relationship like that, wondering if it will ever happen. And, and while many of you, probably most of you, go home to a family or, or somebody else to talk to, spend time with at the end of your day, this person every day goes home from work or being out with friends. This person goes home to be alone. And, and I don't know that they should bury the hope or bury the, the dream of being with someone, but I wonder what it would be to bury the sorrow that they carry, bury the fear that it's never going to happen. Now, I should be clear. When I say bury it, um, I don't mean that in the, the psychological way we talk about burying things where we pretend like they're not there and we deny them and we don't talk about them. You've all heard of burying your feelings. I'm not talking about that. Um, I mean, I wonder if we could bury these things like the mafia buries things. <laughs> you deal with it. You take care of it. You make it sleep with the fishes. You make it go for a swim with concrete shoes. I love all those things. Uh, 
they're really just clever ways of talking about putting something to death. Uh, by the way, we got all kinds of ways we talk about death without talking about death. Uh, if a dog goes to live on a farm upstate, we all know what that means. Uh, if you're a pirate, you might say that somebody went down to Davy Jones' locker. Uh, here, here's a new one that I heard, uh, that when someone passes, they are now shaking hands with Elvis. Have you heard that? I'm not sure if Elvis is the first person I want to meet when I go to heaven, but hey, to each their own. All of those are euphemisms for death, or again, back to the mob, somebody being killed. And I want to add one more euphemism today, which is simply to bury it. Isn't there something in you Knowing that these feelings and these actions and these beliefs about yourself or about other people, knowing these things detract from the life to the full thing that Jesus promises, isn't there something in you that longs for some of that stuff, your envy and your resentment and your sorrow and your fear to be dead and buried? Just to make sure you get a really good understanding of what I'm talking about, I want you to watch this video made with real people from here at Crosswinds. Hi, my name's Amanda. Hi, my name's Dave. Hi, my name is Martha. Hi, my name is Matt. I'm Doug. Hi, I'm Juliana. Hi, my name is Debbie. I'm Ethan. The reason I chose Grief to Bury is a lot to do with my family and the passing of my grandmother. The events leading up to her passing created a lot of turmoil. My family is very split right now and this loss has created incredible heartbreak after us all losing her. We all lost one another. I know I can come across as a positive, upbeat guy a lot of the times, but inside it's a whole nother story. I've struggled with perfectionism pretty much my whole life. It's okay to try to do a really good job, but I often take it too far. And the net effect of that on me is it just robs my joy that I really should have from doing a job well. When I was young, my dreams were to become a professional singer. That's all I ever wanted. And then life happened. I got married, had children, and things just didn't work out but I've always expected to be back up there on the stage. But it didn't happen for me in the way that I wanted it to happen. I started going through depression, and that took me about a year to get out of. And when I got out of my depression, all that desire to do what I wanted to do in music went away. Anxiety has resurfaced recently, and uh, there are external forces that trigger it and, and make it harder to cope with, uh, depending on what I'm doing or what I'm going through. When my anxiety is peaking, it's hard to sleep, it's hard to go back to sleep. Uh, I feel nauseous sometimes. I'm hungry, but I don't want to eat. It just makes it hard for me to have uh, any sense of confidence that I'm doing the right thing. When I met my best friend, uh, I realized that he was in a very difficult situation at home. I was there to support him, to remind him that God is with him. But as time went on, I realized it was a real emotional toll on me. It caused me to lose a part of myself. For the past few years, uh, we've been having some unhealthy family patterns uh, with my extended family and my husband. Those um, unhealthy family patterns have affected me personally um, with anxiety, somewhat depression, and some very sad moments in my life. 
18 years ago, my marriage broke up. It was unexpected and it was very sudden. My recovery was going really well, so I thought, but then I noticed that there were some things happening that showed me that I had a remnant of bitterness inside of me. I was kind of jealous of people who had been married a long time or who were celebrating anniversaries. And then I realized that it was bitterness inside of me. I hadn't gotten rid of that part. Anger in my life led to a lot of problems. I watched uh, myself become a more angry person and uh, not know what to do with it, so I internalized it. It became like a, like a lump of pain inside my stomach until it gave me ulcers. If I don't bury my anger, it will destroy me and every relationship I have. If I don't bury it, it will destroy me. As much as that language in the Bible of death and burial seems kind of stark and strong and weird, it's actually something that, that probably resonates with us. Um, wouldn't you like to deal with something in your life once and for all? Well, what we read in Romans says, you and I can bury these things with Christ in his death. And out of the thing we bury... God brings new life. Something gets buried, and then a bell starts ringing. Let's talk about Jesus. If any of you were here the previous four weeks, you know we spent four straight weeks talking about the meaning of Jesus' death on the cross. What's so great about the Bible is it, it gives us multiple meanings for this most significant moment, Jesus' crucifixion. But what we didn't talk about were the three days that we remember this weekend. Friday, the day of the crucifixion itself, a day of suffering and pain and agony. And then Saturday, Friday was a day of terrible pain. Saturday was a day of doubt, right? And confusion and, and misery, really. Saturday was the day that Jesus stayed buried in the tomb. What do we do now? Where will we go? How could this have happened? You got Friday, a, a day of suffering and pain. Saturday, a day of, of doubt and confusion. Jesus is in the grave. But then you've got Sunday, Easter, a day of joy and hope and victory. Now, here's why I bring up these three days. In your life, you will face these three days over and over and over, again and again in your lifetime. And when you do, you're going to ask yourself some questions. What do I do in my days of pain? How do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? And most importantly, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? How do I get to Sunday? How do I get to Easter? And to answer that question, in order for you to have a day of hope and joy and victory, a day of new life, to have a Sunday, you have got to have a Saturday. I know you have a Friday. You have pain. We have all had Fridays. But to get to Sunday, you need a Saturday where something sits buried in a tomb. To raise something to new life, it has to first have been dead and buried. And I wonder if some of you are longing for Sunday. You've been waiting for Sunday, and you're wondering why it's taking so long. And the reason that Sunday hasn't quite been here for you, you've had a Friday, but you still haven't had a Saturday. You haven't let go of, you have not buried the thing that God needs to do a new work in to bring you new life and life to the full. How do you do that? What does it even mean to bury these things? Well, I'm going to give you two things it means to bury them. But my guess is many of us have done the first one. Maybe not so many of us have done the other. 
The first is identifying what needs to be buried. Recognizing what it is in you that is keeping you from living life to the full. By the way, I said in you. Would you say in you with me? In you. What is in you? That in you piece is really important. Not identifying what somebody else needs to do in them and bury in them for you to have life to the full. You realize that, right? What is it in you? I shared with you one of mine. It was envy. You watched a video with quite a few more. Things like grief or anxiety or anger, perfectionism, a bitterness, family patterns you might feel stuck in. Many of us have done half the work of this burying in recognizing what it is in us that needs to be put to death so that God can bring new life. And in just a moment, we're going to give you some time to recognize that in yourself. But here's the second thing that burying involves, the one that most of us don't get to, cooperating with God for transformation cooperating with God in his work of transforming you. See, this is not a magic trick where you just say, God, I recognize that I have envy. Now do your thing and make me new. No, God says, I have the power to transform this thing in you that is bringing you down. But what I want from you, what it's going to take from you is you cooperating in me doing it. And, and when we say bury today, again, we don't mean to deny that this thing exists. Quite the opposite. It's to identify that it exists and then cooperate with God in transforming it. That's what it means to bury it. And what the Bible says, if you do this, God will restore it to new life. Now, so far this morning, we've talked about one thing in your life that might need to be made new, your envy or your grief. But here's a really important question. What if it's you? What if it's your whole you? This same book of Romans we were reading out of also tells us something about ourselves. It helps us identify something that we are all sinners. And it says that God wants to redeem or, or make new these things in our life that, that are keeping us from life to the full. But also, he really wants to redeem us, make us new. It's interesting. When Romans talks about all of us being sinners, its purpose isn't to judge us. Its purpose is to actually express how much God loves us. Like one chapter earlier than what we've already read, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, think about this. Jesus saw you and all the things about you that need to be dead and buried and then given new life, especially the sin part, and rather than it turning him off and him running the other way, Jesus loved you enough to take your sin, die for it, and bury it with him. And maybe today, it's not a family pattern that needs burying or your bitterness or your jealousy. Maybe it is you. Colossians 2.13 says, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When you were dead because of your sin, God made you alive. And I'm going to just be very honest with you right now. Some of you have spent your whole life on Friday. Every day you wake up is a Friday. It is pain and death and agony, and it's because you have never buried you 
to be made alive again in Christ. You've never said, God, I am a sinner, and I am the thing that needs to be made new, not just my grief or my family or my marriage. I need to be made new. Let me, let me show you something really beautiful. The same guy who wrote what we've been looking at said this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, what happens? When you give your life to Jesus, your old self is put to death, and a new creation begins. Your old self is buried, but somewhere, Sunday comes and a bell starts ringing. A bell starts ringing, a bell rings and it says, you may think that I was dead, that me and my envy and my grief and my anxiety and my sin were dead and buried. And it's true, they have been. But what you didn't know is that through the power of Jesus, I am a new creation and I live. Back to Romans, I have been buried in his death, but I am raised to walk in new life. And I can think of no better day than Easter Sunday to bury your old self and let Jesus bring you new life, life eternal, life to the full right here, and new life is a new creation. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. In fact, I'll just ask everybody here to bow their heads and close your eyes and and if you want to give your life to Jesus and, and your sins to Jesus so he can put a new life in a new you, just make my words your own. You don't have to say anything out loud. Just pray along with me in your head. Let's pray. God, this morning, I know that there is a part of me that makes decisions that lead to death. There is sin in me that needs to be dead and buried. But I also know that Jesus took that sin with him to the cross. He buried it with him in the grave. And today, I am asking that you would extend your forgiveness to me, knowing that Jesus has buried my sin. And I'm telling you, God, I want to cooperate with you as you give me new life. As you make me into a new creation, alive in you. Thank you for loving me, saving me. Amen. If you just prayed that with me, and maybe you've never prayed something like that before, I want to tell you God's promise is that your sin is buried, and you are a new creation. And in a minute, we're going to invite you to do something really special with the rest of us that marks this moment that you buried the old you, and God made something new. But before we do that, let's talk about the rest of you. This idea of burying your old self. I wish I could tell you you do it once and you're a new creation and you never experience envy again. Wouldn't that be great? Or anxiety or fear or perfection. Truth is, my old self reappears. Or at least I get tricked into thinking that I am the old thing. And here's what that means. That burying is a practice that we do again and again and again in order to remember that Christ lives in us. That every time I see my old self want to make a comeback, I can bury it and be made alive again. Get this. We are constantly burying and we are constantly being made alive. 
And, and I know that today some of you have been thinking of something in you that you need to bury and then be made alive just like the people in that video. And so we want to give you a chance to do what they did. Um, on your way in, you were given a piece of paper and a, and a pencil. It was part of that package you kind of got on the way in. And, and that paper looks just like the one that you saw those other people write on. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you a little time, and I want you to write what it is that you need to bury today. What is it you need God to make new? You might write bitterness. You might write anger. You might write my controlling tendencies. You might write burden, the burdens I'm carrying. You can write one thing. You can write 10 things. We don't mind whatever it is you need to bury. But one thing I'll add. If you just prayed with me and decided to bury you for Jesus to make you new, I want you to write on this paper, me. I'm burying me. I want Jesus to make me new. We want to give you some time to, to, to write what you want on this paper. By the way, if you're worried that someone's going to see it, uh, you can even just write the first letter of something. It's, it's just between you and God. He knows what your, your letter or your symbol is going to mean. And you can fold it up so that no one sees it. That's okay. We're, we're going to do something with these. Uh, don't worry. You're not going to take it home. Leave it on your dresser and your spouse will run across it. You don't have to worry about that. But we're going to give you some time. Identify what is keeping you from having a Sunday. The life God has for you. Life to the full. Why don't you go ahead and we'll take a moment and do that. I really want to let go of all the blame and the conflict and the separation that this has created between what once was a really close family. I'm hoping that Jesus can really open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and lead us down a brighter and more loving relationship with one another. I'm trusting Jesus with my grief. I'm hoping that if I can bury this, that I can really experience the joy that I want, and that I know Jesus wants for me too. What I'm going to bury is my perfectionism. I want to bury it, and I want to see what God grows out of it. I'm ready. I have to trust that God's going to put me in a place that He wants me, and I'm excited about that. What I want to bury today are my old dreams. I think it's important to bury it because I know deep down inside that um, if I don't bury it, then I'm fighting against it on my own and in my own strength, and, and that's a losing battle. Today, I'm burying my anxiety. As I bury this burden, I feel like I can finally let myself go free once again. I would want God, the Holy Spirit, to be with me and to remind me that everything is going to be okay. What I want to bury today is my burden. 
With bearing this today, I hope that Jesus unites our family together um, so that we can be in the same room and share family moments. Although this has been really difficult, I know that all things are possible with God and that He will either restore or bring something new out of this. Today, I want to bury my unhealthy family patterns. I am very excited to bury the sin because I think I will be freer freer in so many ways to celebrate other people and to um, be content with who I am. I think that Jesus will bring to me a new season of contentment and gratitude and joy and that the past 18 years will be behind me. What I'm bearing today is my bitterness. I think the only way it's going to be better is if I continue to rely on God and the moment I stop, the moment I think it's about me in some way, that's when it rises back up. Every time this type of sin rises up, I just, I try to give it over to him every single time so nobody gets hurt. What I'm hoping will happen when I bury my anger is that I, it will be replaced by peace and by, by love and by, by joy. Today, I'm gonna bury my anger. something powerful about actually literally burying that which we need to put to death you've probably been wondering why in the world there is a planter box full of soil in this auditorium today and it's because I need to bury some things and you need to bury some things and we need to put some things to death so that Jesus can bring new life and, and before we celebrate Sunday together in just a moment we want to give you a chance to have a Saturday, to just leave some things that you've identified buried in a grave like we saw in that video. We're going to bury them right here in this service. Now, um, rather than having hundreds of people walking down here, we, we want to give you a chance to, to put what you wrote in a box. We're going to send some boxes around for you to put your paper in, and some of our pastoral staff are going to bring those boxes down while we sit here, and they're going to bury them in this dirt. One thing before we, we pass these, I, I, I know that these might just seem like words on a paper, but they are not just words when we assign meaning to them and to the activity. And when these boxes come by, you could, you can just slip your paper in the box or you can mark a moment that you buried this thing that needs to be put to death. You can say what Paul said, I have been crucified in Christ. And it is, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I am putting this part of my old self to death. Would you have that in mind as you bury these things by placing them in this box? And then in a few minutes, because we celebrated death, we'll get to celebrate life. Uh, if you're on the end of a row, we want you to turn and give it to the person behind you so they can pass it down their row. Um, pastors, will you pass the boxes out? This cornerstone 
this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What are heights of love, what depths of peace, when the fears are stilled, when the striving cease, my comforter.
there's a, a release to burying and even more a hope in burying, a hope for something new to be brought to life. Now, I, I love that that German inventor chose a bell for the graveyard. Bells signify something changing and they signify something new. I mean, think about it. What do bells mean? What do bells mean? Uh, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. What else? If it's church bells, it might mean someone's getting married or maybe it's the time. It's 12 o'clock. It's 1.30. Maybe that it's Christmas. But, but after what we've talked about, you know something else a bell means. I am alive. You thought I was dead, but I'm alive. Open the grave. I'm coming out. I'm alive and I'm living and I am made new. The bell ringing means come see. Come see what Jesus has done in me. And while death and burial is very Friday and Saturday, do you know what screams Sunday? The sound of a bell ringing in the graveyard, drawing everyone to come see that which was considered dead has been brought to life. It's made new. It lives and it is pointing to Jesus. So here's the last thing we want to do with you today. On the walls around you, you'll see we have hung hundreds of bells. Uh, even on the walls all the way in the back up at the top, lots of bells. I don't think I've ever been around so many bells. And in just a moment, we're going to close singing a song. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to grab a bell, take it back to your seats, and sing with us, all right? And, and these bells are for you to keep. And you can ring them during the song, or you can ring them when you get home, or you can ring them out in the courtyard on your way out. We don't care. But my hope is every time you look at this bell, you remember this is an expression that I was buried in his death, and I have been raised to walk in new life. Derek, will you lead us in crosswinds? You can go get your bells.
There's nothing cooler than the sound of all these bells representing Jesus putting life in us. Um, before I pray, if you prayed with me earlier for God to, to put new life in you, to receive his grace, to, to begin that kind of a relationship with Jesus based on his forgiveness, on your way in, you were given these cards, and on the back there are these QR codes, and, and we have one that says, I have decided, and, and we would love it if you scanned that code um, you can sign up for us to send you an email that just tells you more about what it is to live this new life that we've been talking about all day today, all right? Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much that you are a God who's not just a God of the Friday and a God of the Saturday, but you are a God of the Sunday. God, when we bury these parts of us, our old selves, God, you bring new life. You invite us to participate again and again in your burial, in your resurrection. And we love, God, that you look at us and say, I will make you into new creations where a bell is ringing all the time. And so, God, we thank you for these things. We are so grateful for Easter. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks for coming today.